Pause for a second. A man who willfully sanctified himself into the things of God became the strongest evangelical voice over the last 70 plus years, not only in our nation, but throughout our world. A man who went to great lengths to make sure that accountability and integrity and character were protected in his life. He would not go into a hotel room until some of his team would walk in and check the bathroom and check the closet and check underneath the bed because Billy Graham never wanted anyone to bring a claim against him that could take down what God was doing in his life. Billy Graham made the statement that I don't want to undo in two minutes what it's taken me 50 years to establish in regards to character. He is a man that is respected. He is a man that kept the main thing, the main thing. He spoke against racism. He refused to entangle himself with denominational arguments. He preached the gospel and was not ashamed. Frankel and his son was asked the other day, how did your dad evolve in his teaching over the years? Franklin said he didn't. He preached Jesus and Jesus only his entire ministry. I'll never forget, I met a guy by the name of Jack Cousins. I met Jack almost 30 years ago. I was a young guy in ministry, and Jack put his arm around me, and Jack began to encourage me. Jack had been with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association for years, and Jack became a key mentor in my life. Billy Graham was doing his last crusade that he would ever do in Atlanta at the Georgia Dome. Jack Cousins called me and said, Dr. Graham loves to have people sit on the platform with him. I love your heart, Tim, for ministry. You're working with some athletes. Is there a possibility that you would like to sit there and be with Dr. Graham? I'm like, are you serious? And so Barb and I and a, a few other couples, we were able to go that night. Andre Crouch sat down at the piano and began to lead worship. And then Billy Graham, when he was introduced, took the podium, and the brother preached Jesus. That's what he did his entire life. And if there's any man that I admire, and if there's any man I respect over the course of my Christian journey, it's been Dr. Graham. I've been to Minneapolis. I've been to the Billy Graham headquarters. Years ago, Benji, I don't even know if you know this story, but we were doing an outreach up in Swannanoa. Montreat, Black Mountain, North Carolina. Jesse, I don't know if you're familiar with this one, son. But we were going there to do this outreach, and Sid Bream and a group of other baseball players were with me, and we were going to be going into these schools, and we were going to be teaching baseball as a bridge builder to share the gospel. The guy, Mr. Norm Wilhelming, Norm has been a, a friend of mine for years, and Norm's with Jesus now, much like Jack Cousins is. But Norm came to me, and he said, I think I've got a treat set up for the girls. And I said, what's that? And he said, I've talked to Ruth, Billy's wife, and Ruth said she would love to have the girls, all the wives, come up to her house and have lunch with her on Saturday afternoon. My wife, Barb, will tell you to this day,
she'll tell you to this day that one of the greatest highlights in her life was being able to sit with Ruth for four hours. And Ruth said, any questions you girls want to ask me, nothing's off the table. And Barb said, the wisdom that woman poured into us, she said, it transformed me. When the word came out that he had passed away, I was like, what a life. This is all raw in the moment. I was like, what a life. What a man who stayed the course. What a man that God would raise up. As a young man, he said he stood on a hillside. Him and another dude were basically starting out ministry at the same time. This other guy would eventually denounce the things of Christ. But Billy Graham said on that hillside, he drove a stake in the ground. And he said, I believe Jesus is the only way. And I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. And God, as long as you will allow me, I will preach Christ and this word of God until I die. It's like, what an amazing legacy. What an amazing legacy. And I was praying through this week. I was like, what is my legacy going to be? What is my legacy going to be? The question is posed, what will I do with this life that God has entrusted to me? I want to get one shot at it. And to every person under my voice, you've got to ask yourself the question, what will I do with the life that has been entrusted to me? Jesus said that the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which will last forever. So we have to pause and ask, Am I really investing my life daily for kingdom purposes? You'll hear me say, go in for the kingdom. But do I live with eternity as the backdrop? Do I really live in such a way that I believe just in a few moments, it can be days, it can be weeks, it can be months, it might be years, but do I really believe that just in a few moments that I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my life? And I do. I believe every person in this room, we're going to stand before a holy God one day and he's going to say, what did you do with a life that I gave you? Jesus was in the last hours of his earthly life. He's hanging out again on the Mount of Olives where often he would teach and share with his disciples. The scripture says in Matthew 24, 3, that while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of the age? 
when are you going to come again? You tell us that you're going to leave. It's to our advantage that we go away because if you go away, you will send the paracletos, the Holy Spirit. When are you coming again? What will be the signs that point toward the end of the age when the world kind of ends? And Jesus told a variety of stories, parables, and then we picked this one up in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, uh, end of the age, when am I coming back? What will it look like? It's like a man about to go on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. It's like a man. It's like a guy that is about to take off, and he's got these others that are working for him, under him, and he calls them together, and he entrusts his stuff to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. To one, he gave one talent, each according to his own ability, and he went on a journey. Now, stop for a second. I want to unpackage some thoughts with you today. Here would be the premise statement that I would make. Premise statement. Everything that I have belongs to God. Everything that I have, Chad, it belongs to God. God has entrusted his possessions to us. God has entrusted certain things to you. There are certain things that God has brought into your life that belong to him, but he's entrusted them to you. The obvious is God owns it all. The obvious is we came into the world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. That's the reason Dr. Graham and Miss Ruth were both placed in these cheap pine boxes made by inmates. They're like $300 wooden pine boxes enough for us. Why, why, why would you be buried in that? Because I'm not taking anything with me, earthly speaking. It all belonged to God anyway. And when God said, give me back my breath, I've got to give it back. Life is a gift. The secret to life is to realize life is a gift. It doesn't belong to us, never has belonged to us, never will belong to us. Life is a gift. Everything I have belongs to God. When you study scripture, the Bible tells us that we're stewards and managers of what belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says it this way. Let a man regard us in this manner, Paul writing. Let others look at us and regard us and see us in this light. We're just servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required that a steward be found trustworthy. What's he saying? He's saying, we're just servants. We're, we're servants of Christ. Everything belongs to Christ. Uh, even the breath, the life that we've been given, it belongs to him. We didn't stand in line for it. We didn't deserve it. There was no entitlement. We're, we're just servants. The word servant there in the Greek, the portrait, is an under rower in a boat. All he is is he's hidden. He's out of sight. He can't see where they're at, where they're going. All he's doing is he's just got a He's got an oar, and he's just rowing. And whatever the master says, he's just obeying. He's just rowing and got this rower. Here he goes. What are you doing? I'm just obeying and honoring and just 
following the commands of my master. I'm not in charge. I'm not in command. I'm just a servant. I'm just to stay out of the way, stay hidden, but just to serve my king. That's the portrait. We're stewards. We're to manage what belongs to God. An observation would be this. When I understand biblical stewardship, it releases the grip of greed that I oftentimes want to carry with me. The world wants you to be greedy. The world wants you to grab a hold to everything that this world has to offer. But when I understand stewardship and that I'm here just to manage what belongs to God, it releases the grip of greed. It's not me. It's not my. It's not mine. It's his. So I believe that stewardship is at the core of everything we believe. Everything we do is to be done for the glory of God because God owns it all. That's the premise. If you study the story here, the parable, you'll see God's provision. It says God has given all of us some talents. The scripture says to one person he gave five talents, to one person he gave two, to another person he gave one. What's the takeaway? He gave, he gives, he's generous, he's kind to us. That would be a great understanding for many of us. It would eliminate competition and comparison with others to realize my God has gifted me and blessed me with certain things. God's given me things that are unique. And we could go through the room and look. God's given you certain things, Luke. Look at you. And God wants you to steward those things for his glory. But you go around and every person has been given something. Now, those somethings differ, but the master has been kind enough to pour certain things into your life. I started looking at talents and what are they? They can be abilities. They can be spiritual gifts. It can be personality traits. It can be the experiences that he's given you in life. It might be your family, your spouse, your kids. It might be the co-workers around you. But every one of us has been, given, has been given certain things by God that we're to steward and manage for his glory. You start to look at what you got. All of us have something in here. All of us have something. Intellectually, we may come at different levels. There's a lot of people that I meet the majority that are smarter than I am academically. I'm okay with that, but I've been given some intellect. There's people that have more wealth, but I've been given tremendous wealth compared to the world standards. I'm in the 98 percentile of the wealthiest people on the planet. So I, I've been given wealth, no matter what your financial portfolio is. You start to look and go, what, what, what does it mean? It means God is a gracious God and God has entrusted certain things to you that you are to be stewarding and managing for his glory. What is it? Premise. Everything belongs to him. Now the provision is, what do I have and how am I managing what God's given me? Here's the perspective. Perspective. I am accountable to use what I have. The scripture says in verse 19 the master of the servants came back and settled their accounts. Hey, I'm giving you five. I'm giving you two. I'm giving you one parable. He goes away, and when he comes back, he's going to settle the accounts. One day, God's going to say, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What did you do with the breath I gave you? What did you do with the gifts, abilities, and passions, and talents that I gave you? Listen, 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 listen. The master wants a return. 
The master is expecting a return based on the teachings of Jesus. Those last hours, I'm coming back, but I want to return. Which means one day God's going to do an audit on every one of our lives. It's appointed a man to die once and then stand before the judgment. What, what's going to happen? I'm going to come back and I'm going to audit your life. So, so I want you to know with what I've given you that you're responsible to exercise and maximize everything I've given you, Tim. You're, you're responsible. You're accountable. I'm going to audit you one day. You're going to stand before me one day. Don't minimize and trivialize anything I've poured within you. That's the reason you'll hear us say here that ability without accountability and responsibility is a liability. Just be accountable. Be purposeful. Be responsible with what God's given you. I start to read through this, and I'm like, the first man went out, took what God gave him, doubled it, 100% return. Second guy takes what God gives him. He goes out, exercises, maximizes, 100% return. You read the third guy, and it says that he took what he had been given and buried it, suppressed it, did nothing with it, just buried it. He does nothing, nothing. And if there's anything that boils my blood, it's people that have been given much but don't do anything with it. And I'm just telling you that. It, it, it boils me. I'm like, God has done so much for you, and he's entrusted so much, but you're lazy, and you do nothing, and you don't exercise. Why not? Why not? You're going to give an account. God's going to audit that. That is a gift to be used, not hidden, not buried. And the scripture says he just buried it. He was cautious. He was afraid. He, he didn't do anything. And when you read verse 26, it says the master came back. And he's like, dude, what is the problem? You didn't even try. I would rather fail greatly trying than sit around and do nothing. I would rather be mocked, laughed at, booed for trying and being a participator than to just be lazy sitting in the stands as a spectator. It makes no sense. I've watched so many videos over the last three or four days of Dr. Graham. I've just been sitting there watching it, going, this guy was relentless. He kept preaching the gospel, Jeff, wherever he was, man, he would just preach Jesus. He was passionate about Christ being known to the world. And I'm like, why does that fire you up? Because we can't please God by doing nothing. God's called us to risk it all. And, and I think about this oftentimes even in my own journey. I mean, it's like, how do you get to where you're at in life? I don't know. I mean, God is God at work in our lives, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. But, but how do you get there? I mean, I've told you, a 575 on the SAT did not open a lot of doors for me in regards to going to school. It didn't, Mama Kay. Praise God for a right arm that could throw hard and people had a baseball team. But it opened doors for me to go play ball. But when I came to faith in Jesus Christ in October of 1985, I believe that Matthew 28 applied to everybody. 
I believe that when Jesus' last words of all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I've taught, and I'm with you always, I believe that applied to me. When I went back to play ball that first year, I knew God was telling me, share what I've done in your life with these guys. I'm like, but I was raising hell, and I was out in the bars with them last year, and I was drinking like a guppy with them. I know that's where you were last year. Tell them what I've done in you over the last three months. Well, Mark Twain said, when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. So I was qualified <laughs> to tell the truth. Just go tell them the truth. And that's how it started. That's how it started, Johnny. I didn't know all this stuff. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. And I'm going to break this down at the end on how you can share your story with other people. But I started walking with Jesus, and I started going out doing youth retreats, and I started going on mission trips, and I got a few opportunities to go out and share my testimony, and, and, and I was a work in progress. I, God was doing something. I didn't know how to do it. Then I moved to Indiana, and I was with the ministry for 20 years. I just felt like God put a call on my life. He said, if you'll sanctify your heart to me and see yourself as a servant and steward and trust me, watch me work. Okay, I can do that. And I'm telling you right now, it's 32 plus years later of walking with Jesus. How'd you get to where you're at? I got there one day at a time, one step at a time, one risk step at a time. Rejected, ridiculed, abandoned, mocked, laughed at. How'd you get there? That's, that's, how, that's how it works. Leave what you're doing and go pastor in Loganville. Never pastored a church before. I've had people come in here and they're like, you're not like most pastors. I'm like, I don't know what most pastors are like, but I never pastored. And I said, how do you pastor? And Jesus said, I'll show you. You were born an original. Don't die a copy. I don't want you to be a duplicate of something I did somewhere else. I want you to be an original of who I'm making you to be. And I'm like, well, there you go. That was freeing. It's the truth. Be who God's called you to be. But every step of the way, it's been this whole concept of don't bury what I've given you. Go live it out. Are you going to be applauded every day? No. Are you going to be applauded most days? Probably not. But when your heart is sanctified to the Lord and you're doing what God has called you to do and you're serious about sharing the good news of the gospel with other people, trust God. Trust God. I spent all week out in Arizona. I flew out last Sunday. And I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and flew home late Thursday night. I'm just dealing with a lot of people. A lot of people that don't know Christ. A lot of people that are A's, they're apathetic. A lot of B's becoming interested. A few C's, they confess Christ. A few D's, guys that are starting to develop as a disciple few random ease, but most of them were just lost. So I sat down, I was writing this. Is Jesus Christ really the answer to the human dilemma of evil, suffering, chaos, and death? Can hope and healing in the gospel of Jesus 
bring peace to a lost and desperate world? Do we have other solutions? Are there other roads that lead man to the one true God? I'm totally convinced that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life that every man ultimately longs for. I'm convinced more than ever before that being able to share his teachings and life with others is the only mission that matters. I am convinced that intellectual arguments and knowledge-based approaches will never work. I'm convinced that allegiance to a religious institution will never satisfy the human soul. I am convinced that going into all the world and making disciples of Christ is the command and the commission. The mission and mandate cannot be ignored or dismissed. I am convinced that a person who rejects Jesus will spend eternity alienated, separated in a place called hell. I don't want anybody going there. I am convinced that it is impossible to understand the meaning of life apart from Jesus Christ. And because I am convinced, I am therefore convicted in my spirit and soul to do everything possible to reach and teach others this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I'm sitting there the other day going, don't back down. Don't, 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 don't back down from it. Stay with it. You've been walking with me. Yeah, yeah, you say 32 years, but it's more like about 12,000 days. It's one day at a time. One day at a time. Stay faithful to me. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. What I don't use, I will lose. The scripture says in verse 28 of the narrative, Jesus said the owner came back and said, take away that talent that I gave that dude. Take it away. If you don't exercise and utilize what God has given you, time, money, resources, abilities, God's going to take it away from you. We sing, he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives. And if you use what God's given you, he'll start to multiply more things there. But if you don't, take that away. He's not going to use it for my glory. And I believe that. I, I, I believe that. And we say here that we're a generous culture. We believe serving and giving and loving and sharing our lives with others is the biblical norm. We believe that biblical stewardship and living generous lives is the greatest apologetic defense of the gospel that we have to the world in which we live. We believe that. We do something crazy here. We make a 100-day giving challenge to people. You go, really? Yeah, we do. We believe the teachings Proverbs, Malachi, Matthew even says, but we believe the teachings of honoring God with our wealth, with our time, resources, everything. But he says, test me in this one area. Test me in the tithe and see if I will not open up the floodgates and pour out a blessing on you to blow your mind. Don't ask God to bless you if you're robbing him. You're a thief. It makes no sense. It doesn't. But he goes, test me in this area. It's hard to ask God to bless you when you're robbing him. You can't do it. I want to get on his page. I want to get on his economy. I want to serve him and submit to him. I'm just telling you, please listen to me. But we make this giving challenge. You give and you honor God through the tithe for 100 days. 
And if God is not faithful to provide, take care of you and lead you, after the 100 days, we'll write you a check back for everything you gave. We don't want your money. We want to see you freed up and walking with Jesus. You're like, serious? Yes. Yes. God has never wanted my money. God is wanting my obedience, my allegiance. He wants all of my heart. If he gets my heart, he gets everything else I have. He gets my time. He gets my talk. He gets my relationships. He gets it all. What are you saying? I'm just saying is, if I don't use what God has entrusted me to me for his glory, I'm going to lose it. We believe in serving. We'll drive you to that in a bit. You've got 10,080 minutes in a week. Where am I giving my time? Where am I investing my time? We believe everything that happens on this campus is for the glory of God. My buddy Alan has been doing the cafe in here since the time I got here. Alan, what are you doing? Just making coffee. No, 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 Alan. I'm reaching and teaching and training people as I love them with the kindness of Christ through a cup of Joe. That's what I'm talking about. Don, what are you doing out there every morning putting out cones at 8 o'clock? Don, what are you doing? I'm reaching, I'm teaching. I'm extending the kindness of Christ, even if it's raining, helping people find a good parking place, grabbing an umbrella if need be. What are you doing? I'm serving. I'm a part of the game. If the mission is connecting people with Christ and others, I'm a part of the game. You part of the game? Are you in it? Are you a part of the missional game? So here's what I would say in closing. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Did you get that? As the Father has sent me, God has sent me, lived 33 years, God has sent me to be a reflection, the image of God full of grace and truth. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I'm a you. He sent me. He told me to go. He told me to believe him. He told me to trust him. He told me to share him. It says in Acts 1-8, you I'm sending you, but you will receive power, dunamis, explosiveness, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses, you. I'm sending you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. I'm sending you. I want you sharing your story. I want you being intentional of declaring the gospel. Yeah, I'm I'm sending you. Jerusalem, yeah, it represents those relationships that are closest to you, family members, those co-workers, people that you do life with every day. He goes, I want you to be my witness to your Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea. Those are the people I see occasionally, I hang out with, that I'm to build rapport with. I want you to be my witness with those the remotest parts of the earth. Those are people that I really don't know that all of a sudden I intersect with and God goes, hey, share the hope of the gospel with him. I'm always praying when I fly out, like, 
Lord, I don't know who's going to sit next to me, but would you tee up an opportunity to share Christ with this dude today, this lady today, whoever it is, and God's cool to let that happen because they might not be my Jerusalem, those relationships I'm close to, but when you're on the aisle and you've got somebody sitting next to you, based on what I've seen on a four and a half hour flight, there's not a whole lot of places they can go. So we start this conversation on the way out there and God allows me to share with this guy. So what do you do? He goes, I work with WWE. I said, come on, baby, Hulk Hogan and the boys. Been doing it for 25, 30 years now. What do you do? We do all the broadcasting, all the filming. So why are you going to Phoenix? Oh, we're filming a show tomorrow night. I'm like, no way. How's the brand of wrestling doing these days? I mean, with mixed martial arts coming in and, you know, how they've kind of done things. How's it going? I mean, Dana White's really rebranded that. I mean, wh- how are you guys doing? Oh, wrestling's doing great. Vince, he's a genius man. Let me tell you what he's done in wrestling. I, I'm like, I've been around the, the society of it enough, right? Dusty Rhodes, they might go in the days. Come on. Those are people 50 and over. But just talking to the guy had common ground. He was involved in something kind of sports related. And what are you going out there for? I was able to share with him. He was part of my remotest parts of the earth. There's going to be opportunities for you to share. All you got to do is look for, for common ground. And if your eyes are open and you're sensitive to what's going around you, God's going to give you an opportunity to share. I want you to share. I want you to serve because that's what Jesus wants you to do. Parents, look at me. If you've never sat down and shared your story with your kids, I highly encourage you to do so. You can do it. I'm going to walk you through just the simple model that was introduced to me some 30 plus years ago that I still use today. But here's my pledge. My pledge, I wrote down some things that I will care about other people. I'm not going to share with people if I don't care about them. When I read that, uh, even the, the narrative that I wrote about I'm convinced of and I'm convinced of, I'm convinced that people that reject Jesus or die without Christ are going to be alienated and separated and go to hell. I, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I've studied hell. I, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But I'm like, you've got to care about people. And I'm going to tell you something. We've got a maniac here in our fellowship that's going to be doing a class starting on March 11th and the 18th, my buddy Esposito. And if there's anybody that's intentional about praying with people and praying for people and sharing your faith and learning how to evangelize, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, Mike, he's been doing it for years. So on March 11th and March 18th, there's a place on your Connect card. Probably wouldn't hurt to grab that Connect card because you need to be a part of this. But if you look on the back side there, it says register for Esposito's classes, prayer and evangelism. Do them both. But we're trying to do everything we can to get the right tools in your hand to help you be fully alive and equipped. That'd be a great one to attend. It'll happen right after the first service. We'll start at 1050 and we'll go to 1215. Hour and 25 minutes of that dude, I'm telling you, you're, you're going you're gonna to learn a lot. You'll grow. But you've got to care. There's opportunities. I want to volunteer. You've got to care. You've you got to be a part of it. Here, here's another thing. I, I care, but I will dare to make a difference. I, I, I will dare. 
to make a difference in my world. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9. When I am with those who were oppressed, I share their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. So that I might bring them to Christ. My friend Brandy came up after the first service and was telling me about where she works. And she's like, you know, it's kind of crazy because, you know, I grew up Jewish. And I said, yeah. And she goes, this girl that's working with me grew up Muslim. And she goes, I'm not really sure what we've got in common. I said, well, you had this in common. You rejected Jesus being Messiah. She doesn't even acknowledge that Jesus probably was Messiah. So you both had something in common. You were as lost as a ball in high weeds who've come to faith in Christ. She's like, but listen to what else we had in common. She started sharing it with me. And I was like, yeah. She was talking about daring to make a difference with somebody at work. And I'm telling you, you've got to be willing to take risk. Whatever your talents are, don't bury them. Don't suppress them. Don't hide them. Get involved in the game. God wants us to live missional lives. Here's the last thing for me. I will share the gospel with other people. I'm going to care. I'm going to dare, but I'm going to share. Now, I want to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. I'm not going to force it in there in a conversation, but I'm going to share Christ. I want to share with you how God has changed my life. Here it is. This is simple. You can do it. Write down, write out your testimony, and you got to be able to share it in two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. This is how I was trained. How do I share it? First thing I share is who I was before I met Jesus. Second piece of it is how I met Jesus. Third piece of it is how Jesus is still changing me today. It's not how he has changed me. It's how he is changing me. What's your testimony? What's your story? In October of 1984, not October of 84, I had just completed playing my first year of pro ball. Baseball was my God. Again, my allegiance to baseball, Budweiser and Babes was great. But I was miserable and I was empty and I knew something was missing. And by October of 1985, I couldn't handle it anymore. I had to realize I was a sinner, and my systems that I was trusting in were absolutely failing me. My dad and best friend came to faith in Jesus. They started sharing with me. I realized I was, I was lost. I needed a Savior, not the Saviors I'd been plugging into, but the Savior Jesus. In October of 85, I asked him to come into my life and change me. Yeah. Man, I started a relationship with Jesus, started getting into the Word, started getting into prayer, started getting into fellowship with other people. How has he changed you? He's radically transformed my worldviews, my core values, my thinking. He's given me a passion to know him full and deep every day. Based on the clock, that was about 85 seconds. Can you do it? Can you do it? Then I'll ask you the deeper question. Will you do it? Can's not the issue with our people. Will I share Christ and how Christ has changed me with others? You start working on a longer narrative. Kali, you shared your testimony 
We showed it here. Many in this room have shared their testimony. Here's some easy components, Greg. I started looking through it, who I was before, how I met him, how he's changed me. I just wrote down, okay, now let me include some key lessons. What has God taught me in failure? What has God taught me in success? What has he taught me from pain, sorrow, and illness? What has God taught me from disappointment? What has God taught me from winning? What has God taught me from losing? What has God taught me from my family, my church, my relationships, my small groups, and yes, my critics? What has God taught me through the word? What has God taught me through prayer? What has God... I promise you, if you sit down and spend intentional time saying, show me what you want me to share. Everybody tight? We started this conversation contemplating the life of Dr. Billy Graham, William Frank Graham. I want to end this conversation with you contemplating your own narrative, the life of fill in the blank. What am I doing with the life that God has given me? It all belongs to him. I've been given some things. Will I steward those things for his glory? What I don't use, I'm going to lose. But I am accountable. Make your life count for the glory of God. Lord, this is fun to contemplate you. It's fun to consider even some of the teachings that you would give us right there toward the end of your earthly journey here in Jesus. Lord, I believe that every guy and gal in this room is struggling with whether they will totally honor you with the breath that you've given them or not. Lord, I pray for every person in this room to repent, to let go, to release, and surrender to you. Anything that they have belongs to you. Their life belongs to you. The very breath, the families, the jobs, everything that we have belongs to you. And Lord, I pray that we would honor you with everything that you have entrusted to us that we're to steward. There's people in this room that have never surrendered to Christ. There's others that have played cultural, religious games that are not surrendered to Christ. There's some that are allowing the things of the world to occupy them so much, the worries and cares of the world are drowning out your word and truth. I pray that you would set the captive free, even as we prepare to move into a time of prayer and a time of communion here in a bit. In Christ's name, amen.